welcome to St. Codependencia, a podcast about all things mental health, in particular codependency. So this week was pretty good. It was a very enlightening week. I had a really good time with my kiddos. Also did a lot of, again, meditating and resting, healing. It was really nice. The one thing that kind of came to me in this week's healing when I was processing was the visual of a seesaw and how codependency and codependent relationships are like a seesaw. To back up a little bit, I think the issue is the the long-standing conflict between individualization versus obedience. This is a situation that happens in almost all relationships. There's a fight. There's a power struggle. There is someone that is meant to be obedient and the other one is meant to be the individual. It's like an unconscious agreement that you have just like getting on a seesaw to be in a relationship like this with a codependent person or an addicted person. It's basically saying, I will stay on this seesaw with you and I won't go see any of these other things that I might like. But because seesawing is your thing, we're going to go back and forth and there's going to be a dumper and a dumpy. A lot of times what happens in relationships is like all of the trauma just goes back and forth between the partners. This could be parents, this could be siblings, this could be coworkers, this could be anybody. It's unhealthy. There's two people in this situation that are that are contributing to that. And so it's just going back and forth. Don't be dumper. I'm I'm more of a victim than you are. No, I am. No, I am one of those situations. Codependence is being controlled by someone in pain. And I realized that a situation that was mandatory in a parent-child situation, and then if you were rebelling against your parent and your parent was trying to overly control you or protect you, you rebel against that and, and you want to get off the seesaw when you're growing up. You want to be an individual. You want to ex- you want to see the world. You don't want to be on your parent's seesaw. But there's some parents that are like, no, This is my seesaw and you're not getting off. And yeah, like that is sort of the right of every parent. However, there's a lot of unhealed trauma that under that is just pervasive through our society. It's been coming down the pipes. And like what happens is the parent is like, you're going to stay on the seesaw. And they don't know this because this is unconscious, but they're like, you're going to sit on the seesaw with me and you're going to fulfill my need. I'm in pain and you're going to be here for me. And it somehow switches from the parent being the caregiver to the child becoming the caregiver and it becoming the parent needing the child emotionally. The child is not able to go and play on that playground. Oh, there's a slide there's a swing, there's there's all this other stuff. But sometimes we're put on seesaws with people we can't get off. And then we grow up and we don't realize that we're kind of playing out this same pattern when we're looking for partners. And we go to seesaws because that's what we know. That's how we were taught. And our parents may have told us that the other stuff is really yucky or bad, or you don't need that. You don't need to go over there. Like, don't believe them or don't do that. You need to be home. This is where you belong. I know best. And there's a lot of times when parents don't know best. They manipulate and they emotionally abuse. 
and they will actually pour anxiety and depression into their child without realizing it. And it's extremely difficult to be in the child position because you've already been a receptacle of this your whole life without knowing it. And if you're thinking about yourself or you're thinking about your mom or you're thinking about your child, just think about it happening to them and it probably will make a whole lot more sense. Or if this is your dad or it could be a stepdad or a stepmom, it could it could be anybody. Seesaws only work when obedience is present. A lot of times parents, so they're so hurt that they have no concept that they are on this emotional seesaw going back and forth and back and forth and their emotional wounds are just just like any injury if you if you don't do anything about it, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and so that's why as people get older it gets harder and harder and then your injuries start to come up to the surface emotionally and you start to feel anxiety and you start to feel depressed and then you're doing the same damn thing to your kids Woo! but it's amazing because What real parenting is and what real relationship is, is saying, I'm not going to control you. I want you to be free to go and play on any part of the equipment you want. We just need to be on the same playground. It's this really freeing, liberating thing. And a lot of times people get off of the seesaw when people are in addiction or in codependence, or if people have just gotten so ugly in their lives that people have just had to stop talking to them, or they've they've just become isolated because that's just the self-fulfilling prophecy that has happened in their life. And they're sitting there on that seesaw. It's like, sometimes you just have to get up and get off that and say, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not here to be just your seesaw partner. (laughs) I want to do a lot of other stuff. So bye-bye. And like you can both grow in a relationship. You both come to an awareness with whoever you are, whether it be your mom or your husband or guys across the board. That person might see that person, that other one, get off the seesaw and say, okay, well, I don't want to sit on the seesaw alone. I can't do it by myself. But what about this thing? And what about that thing? And you can go and discover yourself and you can both be individuals within a relationship and no one is in a repressed silenced role and no one is in a controlling overseer role. But that's what the the unspoken unconscious agreements of codependency are. And they stem from this very basic struggle that everyone has with parents and every parent has with their child. When do you teach them to obey you? And when do you let them fly? It's a very hard when to know because a lot of times parents are pulsing from their parents' <laughs> wounds at this point. So they, they don't know that the, it's just going right down, down the line. And I didn't realize until I went to the Meadows. The Meadows in Phoenix, Arizona is amazing facility, behavioral medicine, they call it. And they have workshops that are truly life-changing. It changed my life. It's what spawned this whole podcast and change in my life. And I owe so much credit to the Meadows. And I and I really, really, really am so grateful to just having this in my life. One thing that I realized once I got there was that there's tons of workshops filled with all different types of things. There's all different ways that trauma manifests in people. It could be an eating disorder. It could be a sex addiction. It could be abuse. It could be physical abuse. It's just so broad. And the the workshops that they offer were workshops that I hadn't really seen before. And obviously the childhood trauma one was the very first one that jumped out at me. And I obviously picked that up and was like, this is where I need to go. This is exactly what I need. And it truly was. One thing that I learned about was 
was addiction of all kinds and what happens in the brain neurologically, and then also other types of addictions that are really hidden away. Like a couple of things that I think are really hidden away are video game addictions and also love addictions. People, I think, I don't think they really look at it in terms of this because they think of addicts as like junkies on the street, you know, and it's like, yes, that is a completely different addict than what I'm talking about. However, emotionally speaking, there are people that are in this addiction phase emotionally that if you could see the inside of their snow globe, it would look like a homeless person on the street in their mind mentally. That's what it would look like for them because they are an addict of love and by their addiction, by trying to just feed their addiction of, of love and a lot of parents and mothers especially, they get enmeshed with their children's lives and they need, need, need their child to fulfill the need. And then the child becomes something that is giving to the parent and not receiving from the parent. And it's a very damaging thing. And it doesn't help the parent at all. It just leaves the child devoid of that parent in their life. Because that person's addiction for love that's probably from a wound from their own parent was running the show. So you got to heal this shit. (laughs) And love addiction is like the people that don't know how to play by themselves. They don't know how they they're like, come on, let's go to Seesaw. And it's like, no, I don't want to play Seesaw. I want to do my thing. You don't need me. Like, Let's do this together. Or it's a symptom or a sign of childhood trauma when someone can't be alone, when someone can't feel safe in their own mind or their own thoughts. That's why coping strategies start to form later in life, because you look you start looking for the hard stuff to, to erase those those yucky things going on. Then that's how addictions happen because there's just all this unresolved, unhealed trauma underneath and you're just throwing stuff on it to numb it out. It's not fixing a thing. Symptoms get worse. Your relationships get worse. You push people away because you've got all this pain and you spill onto everybody. It's bad news, guys. It's real bad. <laughs> But codependency relies on obedience and obedience is a lot of times an unspoken contract. And that's what I realized coming out of codependency, which started very early with my father, you know, an addict needs someone to get on the seesaw with. And for a lot of parents, they may not have like an addiction to like a substance, but they have addictions to other things and they're, and they are manipulating that child. Now I'm saying sometimes this is not all the time. But if this applies to you, or if this applies to someone you know and love, and you really want to see them get out of this cycle, that's my hope for this. I am not saying that this is all <laughs> all parent situations. I'm not saying this is my parent situation. Like this is, I'm using my example in real time. So I started to freak out a little bit about how <laughs> this might piss people off, but I don't care. I don't know this. And this is what's so great about this podcast, because I can't take on everyone's specific issues because I I can't absorb that. But I can try to simplify something in a very human way so that healing can be experienced like I am he- like I am healing now. And so that is my goal. The unspoken contracts happen very subtly in relationships. And a lot of times it's through relation of attraction, whatever. It's like it could be it could be anything. But 
one party has decided I'm going to stay on the seesaw just because I love you so much. And I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go and play and do anything else. I'm going to be on the seesaw. And then, like I said, people start getting resentful and they're like, wait a second, I don't want to be on the seesaw anymore. And then that's when the addict starts to get controlling and starts to to bring up the seesaw comes back up and it starts to sludge all their pain down to that person. It's like, how dare you want to get off of this seesaw? This seesaw is amazing. It's like, what? The seesaw is hell. I want off. And that's just cutting off a relationship, but that you can't do that with a parent. You know what I mean? There's so much underneath there. You can't just walk off a seesaw with a parent. It can't, it's just too involved. It's too, it's, it's, it's subconscious. It's genetic. It, I mean, some people can, but it's not like that trauma isn't going to rear its ugly head. Again, you have to heal these wounds. And so in order to heal, you need to stop the feeding tube like I talked about last week and clean out your feeding tube. I want to make that addendum to last week for anybody that listened to last week's baby bonus was feeding tubes. And I think one thing that I forgot to mention was I did discuss emotional cord cutting and how important it is to, to block off any negativity that you have flowing into your life, regardless of who it's from. I think that's where I stopped. (laughs) And a huge piece of the puzzle for your life to really feel the wonderful effects of this is that you have to get that feeding tube cleaned out. And that is the recovery process. And that is the hard part. (laughs) It's not easy, but it's so worth it. It's a whole new start. It's a whole new beginning. And everyone in your life is affected in a positive way around you. So I really encourage everybody to just check these things out that I'm talking about. Yeah. And I also wanted to say like a little addendum to the main analogy from last week, which was splatter paint. I think I said something like I was in a lot of therapist's office and no one really said, hey, you've got a lot of codependent things going on. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And it's like, there is part of that that's true. And I think part of that is just being in the early stages of mental health development. And I think that there is going to be some catch up time for therapists to get the grasp of how big codependency is and how many people it applies to. But also, I think that codependents lie. I don't think I was really telling the truth because I obviously wasn't. I I wasn't really getting those splinters out of me. That trauma wasn't truly coming out of me until I went to the meadows and I essentially got surgery done with professionals. Does that make sense? It sneaks up on you and it's like you're coping the same way you've always coped and you don't know any different and you know that it's not serving you, but you're scared to stop. But eventually it's going to be stopped for you because that person that you really love is going to be sick of your seesaw shit coming at them. (laughs) And they're going to be like, I'm getting off this bullshit seesaw. (laughs) And you should too. And you should get up and go swing or slide or do something else. And we can both have fun. How about we do that? A lot of codependents are in denial. And so that's why this is a a tough crowd to dive into. I'm, you know, reach people who are very deeply rooted in their way of life. But my hope is that maybe because things have gotten the way that they've gotten or a family member gave them a podcast to listen to or they have no connection to me, some of these words will change people. I hope that it will change cycles and children will have more love and light. Here we go. (laughs) The baby bonus this week is panic buttons. 
like the staples button, you know, the big red buttons, the ones that you can buy that are the the dollar bin and they give them to people to relieve stress and things. I wanted to talk about anxiety. I've had some conversations with people, just people that are involved in like my everyday life, but I'm not necessarily too close with like people in doctor's office or at a store or at a restaurant or a hair salon or something. But I get asked like, well, what do you do? And I think that's such a hard question for stay-at-home moms, by the way. I wish there was an answer because you feel like you have to say, I'm a stay-at-home mom and... And that's bullshit. I think that's really awful. I, I think that stay-at-home moms sh- should have like some sort of like job description that's like super badass. And it's easy to explain and just be like, yeah, this is what I am. And like, boom. But a lot of people say like, hey, what do you do? And, I, and I'm like, well, I'm kind of a podcaster now, which is always weird for me to say. But what's awesome is that it's opening up some really cool conversations and people feel comfortable with me discussing things that they may have going on. And I'm realizing that I'm really happy that I can share this podcast in a way that people can share it with themselves, their children, their every now and then there's a cuss word that comes flying out. So not young children, but apply the ideas to their children. And one of the resounding, I think, issues people are struggling with now is anxiety. I think it's always been an issue. I just think people were judged on the effects of anxiety after they were just thought of as someone who blah, blah, blah. But anxiety was a real strong playing fact. And anxiety has been a family thing that definitely on my mom's side, like I discussed before, everybody sort of laughs about it. I'm not really sure how much anxiety is at a normal level. I don't know. I couldn't tell you what the normal would be. I don't even know if anybody would be able to make a chart of any kind. I know that there are, I have taken anxiety surveys and I, I absolutely qualify for anxiety disorder, <laughs> but I felt a push to really discuss it in a different way so that people who struggle with anxiety can kind of see it in themselves or if people who are struggling with people that are close to them that have anxiety. It's like it's like hitting this panic button because there is a perceived threat in your mind. And so it's almost like a habit that you pick up that becomes an addiction just like picking up a drink or just like overeating or just like doing whatever else. If you keep hitting that panic button and if you keep letting that anxiety be the loudest voice, give it the biggest microphone. And a lot of times people with anxiety, they don't keep it to themselves. They are the town crier that is saying, oh my gosh, you need to know about this perceived threat. I need to tell you. And they keep hitting that red, that red button. And statistically, almost nothing occurs in real life that goes on in your head when it comes to anxiety. Yes, we have to be prepared, but I think it's just gotten completely out of bounds, the level of anxiety that is is going on right now. And it's it, you must get, protect yourself from it. And people don't even know that they're just full of anxiety and they're spilling over because it's something that they may have grown up with in a partner. So they married somebody because that was normal to them. They married somebody that was very anxious as well. It's very common for these patterns to just keep playing out. And so I've recognized it in myself and I want I want a different life for myself. I want a different life for my children. And I've created a safe environment so that I can stop hitting that panic button so much. And it feels so nice. But I realized how many times during the day that either I want to reach for that panic button or I see my daughter reaching for her panic button or her pressing it or my husband, whatever, whoever. There was a checkout clerk at Whole Foods. I was just 
mind my own business, just taking out, you know, my groceries, putting them bag in the basket. He's like, man, can you believe that crime in New Orleans? I was like, yeah, it's terrible. He was just sitting here thinking, just thinking about something that had no effect on him at that moment, you know, and he was spilling it on my canvas because I was just out and about. And that's why these things can occur by exposing yourself to the wrong types of situations and people. And so I'm getting very, very picky. (laughs) I'm getting very picky about the people I have contact with. Look, whatever's getting on my canvas and whoever is playing with me at my playground, I want to be doing what I like to do. And you can be doing what you like to do. And we can live life together. How about that? And everybody can stop hitting the panic button. And you don't have to tell everybody else about the panic button either because you don't understand what other people are going through. And I think a lot of people who have anxiety, they get consumed with it and they think, oh my gosh, this person or that person needs to know or Facebook or Twitter needs to know. And nobody needs to know it. Absolutely nobody needs it. They don't need it. There are things that need to be just hypothetical and let them go. Just let it go. Because this is what the panic button does. It shuts off. Just like think about like a panic button, like a military facility or something. Think about that being your insides. You're hitting that panic button all the time. Your heart and your other emotions, they go in lockdown. They shut off. So you're cutting off your ability to open your heart to the moment. And so when you have an anxiety issue or a disorder, it's like that habit, just like any other habit, that has come so natural and normal to you and has been infused in your childhood, it keeps coming up and you didn't realize that you weren't able to really enjoy your present moment because the the red button was always shutting your heart down. <laughs> I know it sounds a little weird, but I'm realizing that it was true. And I'm I'm trying so hard not to press my panic button when I don't need to. When you start even just having this awareness that you're doing this or maybe other people are doing this and it's affecting you. It's really simple. And people who are close to you, they might be a little bit taken aback if you set a boundary and just be like, hey, guys, look, I am really trying to manage my anxiety. So if you wouldn't mind, I don't like to talk about anything regarding negativity or worrisome content. It's something you can absolutely say to people. And if you feel like you do not have the voice to say that, then call a therapist, please. (laughs) please, please, please call a therapist or please just go to the meadows. Y'all, it's so amazing. And I wish people would look at it as like a phone upgrade. It's that amazing. It's like, why would you use this shitty phone? You can go and get an upgrade to all of your hardware and you can get all that yucky stuff off of you and out of you and you can operate. It's not, it's not overnight and it doesn't, it doesn't happen quickly, but you can operate on a new beautiful piece of equipment (laughs) that doesn't have all these issues and injuries and, and damages. You're not damaged. You're not. So we are all whole. And once we realize that Life isn't about a seesaw. It's not about our wife or husband or child. It's about you. Your life is about you. You can get on the seesaw, have a good time, go back and forth. Sure. And then y'all go play something else. But hopefully there'll be less and less panic buttons. And I want to mention something too that I think happens. A lot of subconscious manipulation happens when people have anxiety. They sort of mask it as love. Like this is how much I care for you. I need you to tell me where you are because this is how much I love you. But it's not loving that person. That is your anxiety or that is your control to have the other person 
in obedience. And that is not a healthy relationship. It's actually abusive. So if you realize that you're on a seesaw, you can get off. Go ahead and get on off that. All right, y'all, that is the message for today. Thank y'all so much for being with me. Please leave me a review if you haven't already. Please share on Facebook. If you like any particular episode, please comment on the episodes. I still haven't been able to really push social media too much. So I'm asking you guys, please help me out to try to get the word out to more people or just share it individually with people who you may think will resonate with. All right, guys, have a great week. I will talk to you soon. Please be advised that I am not a licensed therapist, nor do I have any degrees in mental health. I strongly encourage everyone to seek out the care of a mental health professional. And as always, go find your light and where you begin is within. Bye.